What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome to the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. In our last episode, uh, we talked with Titans receiver Taewon Taylor, and at that point, the Titans had yet to hire uh, a head coach. And since then, they have hired not only head coach Mike Vrabel, but a plethora of assistants to go along with him. Uh, but before we hop into talking about the Titans' new coaching staff, and this is our, our off-season off preview episode, so we're going to talk kind of a little bit of everything. Uh, but, but before all of that, um, what are your guys' reaction on the Super Bowl? We kind of talked about it a minute ago. I think it was just so well-officiated, and it was, it was just a fun game to watch because I like offensive football, and it, it was a classic, I think. Yeah, it was a fantastic game. Uh, not like you said, the, it was very well officiated. So there weren't a lot of stoppages in plays, uh, really weren't that many reviews either. So, uh, I, I thought it went by rather quickly, relatively quickly. Uh, Super Bowls tend to drag on a little bit just because of all the commercials and, and the, the very long halftime shows, but it, it was a great game of football, um, between, between two really good teams. Um, and I was happy to see the Eagles win, you know, their fans kind of are, are ridiculous sometimes. Uh, and they, they get, get, they can get on people's nerves. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> can't wait for that. But um, yeah, no, I was happy for them. I was happy for the Eagles. They really proved me wrong because I thought once once went down uh, that they were done in the playoffs. I thought they were going to lose every single playoff game that they ended up winning. So good for them. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of defensive football. You know, we've talked about this a lot before. I skew more defensive minded. To me, loves watching really- Dick LeBeau. Yeah, that's right. I really grind those <laughs> Dick LeBeau tapes from 2017 to really get me going. Um, the uh, 
to me, like the ideal score in like a Super Bowl, like this, like a big game would be like thirty-one to twenty-eight. I like for one team to just crack thirty-one because if you're, you know, when you put up forty points, it's almost like you can guarantee that the defense on the other side didn't do anything. I mean, and that's kind of exactly what happened. The Patriots' defense struggled to do anything, and the you know the Eagles' offense with a backup quarterback and a backup left tackle, I mean, just cut through them like a hot knife through butter, and they just couldn't stop it. So it was fun to watch because I was so sure that the Eagles would collapse because every team in history, it feels like, has collapsed against the Patriots except for the Giants. So mm-hmm. I, I just felt like it was inevitable, and then – they just kept making plays. And, I mean, in the running game, in the passing game, eventually on defense at the very end, you know, it, it was a complete win from the Eagles in a way that I didn't think they were capable of. And that's why Super Bowls are fun. Uh, it felt like every Patriots game ever where they go down uh, and then they make the adjustments and then they just shatter your heart and just rip it out of your chest. But the Eagles just kept making play after play on offense. I jumped uh, off the couch and, and I mean, a when, lot of that... when Nick Foles threw the ball to uh, Corey Clement in the end zone. That was yeah. one of the best throws yeah. I've ever yeah. seen, ever. Yeah, he was, he was throwing dimes the whole game. And uh, the Eagles have a lot of really talented uh, skill position players, and it, they're a lot of fun to watch. And, and they have good coaches. I mean... We've talked yeah. about this before, and we, you know, that's one of the reasons why we thought about DeFilippo so much. You know, even though he's, you know, called plays once or whatever, and it was for the Browns, but you know, they put Foles in a place to succeed, which, you know, not many other teams could do. I mean, there were teams that were ready to pay him a ton of money when he came off that big season with Chip Kelly, and apparently, all it took was a really good coach and a good surrounding coaching staff, and that's what they have, and. It shows you that it's more than just a head coach. I am more mm-hmm. convinced in Nick Foles' ability to be a starting quarterback in the NFL than I am any of the quarterbacks on the Vikings roster. Is that is that a hot yeah. take? No, well, no, I don't not, think it is. Because Bradford, Bradford gets injured too much. We haven't seen very much from Keenum. All I know about Nick Foles, you hear it all the time, the 27-2 and two touchdown interception season. He was legitimate that year. And in the playoffs, this wasn't some like Blake Bortles offense that the Jags run where it has to be a preschool offense and the easiest throws in the world for him to make. The the run pass option is designed to like make the game flow through the quarterback. He was making big throws, not just the one to Clement, but I mean, you talk about Alshon Jeffrey going up and high pointing the football. The football has to be in a spot where you can go up and high point it. I've just been so impressed with him. I've always really liked Nick Foles ever since that season he had under Chip Kelly. And I am convinced that the lull in his career between the 27-2 and two and, and this season had a lot to do with Jeff Fisher. Yeah, and uh, Nick Foles, when he was in college, he was one of the best quarterbacks uh, in all of college when he was at Arizona. Um, so he was very highly thought of, uh, at least by Chip. Kelly, and that's why I took him in the third round. Um, I mean, the 27-2 and two season, I, I, you can say that it was a mirage because how many quarterbacks go 27-2 and two in terms of touchdown and interception I mean, ratio? And he was throwing but, two, I mean, the, two Pro Bowl receivers and had a Pro Bowl running back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that was just an amazing offense that was incredibly designed by Chip Kelly, uh, and it really tailored to full strength. Um, 
And uh, I mean, the following year, he went a 13, 13 and 10 in terms of touchdown interception ratio. So that wasn't bad. But then Jeff Fisher just completely ruined his career. So I think it's fair to blame Jeff Fisher, given his track record uh, with quarterbacks in the past. Yeah. Talking about Jeff Fisher, I had a tweet last night where I said, you know, I kind of talked about it. And I said, with how good the Rams were this year and with, with Foles winning the Super Bowl MVP, like I, I can't imagine a more humbling experience for mm-hmm. somebody who, you know, I, I don't know Fisher. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. It's what you hear, whatever. But like to, to have been in the league for so long and to have, you know, thought that you understood everything and really knew football and then it turns out as soon as you leave that everybody involved just reaches entirely new heights i mean that's got to just be devastating to your confidence yeah Mm -hmm. so let's talk about jeff fisher's old team uh the team that we're supposed to talk about on this show the tennessee titans who hired head coach mike (laughs) vrabel and i can't say that i was surprised in the least when i saw the uh the notification on twitter I can say that I, I was a little bit surprised that they didn't wait a, a, a bit longer, um, but especially after seeing his coordinator hires, hearing his press conference, some of the other assistant coaches he's brought in, I am a 100% believer, despite what the New York Post might try to tell you, in uh, Mike Vrabel as an NFL head coach. I, I think he is going to be a lot more in control than Malarkey was. Not that Malarkey you know, ever had – mutiny under him or anything like that but I mean he's gonna be a lot more assertive than Mike Malarkey I guess that's what I mean by that and the best part about Mike Vrabel and his coaching philosophy is that he has repeatedly said this is not a game of scheme this is a game of players yeah uh I too was very surprised that uh John Robinson and uh, Amy Adams shrunk they really uh, did not take a lot of time in terms of the search process. I think they only interviewed uh, three candidates. Um, but, I mean, Mike Rabel must have left a really great impression on John Robinson. Uh, I mean, and Robinson knew him from before, so it, it made sense um, that there would be uh, chemistry between the two. Um, I, I mean, you can go back and listen to the podcast when we talked about the candidates i was a little skeptical about Vrabel just because of his of his previous experience and or lack thereof um as a coach um but i don't i don't know if it really matters all that much because a, a head coach doesn't exactly have to be this x's and no genius uh he really does just have to be uh, the right type of leader with the right type of character a communicator uh and yes exactly or a leader of men as john robinson loves to say um, and Vrabel seems to fit that mold, and especially if you if you heard his introductory press conference, you probably fell in love with him, uh, just like I did. And given his um, his staff hires, I don't know how any Titans Titan fan could even uh, doubt him or even be skeptical at this point. If he fails, it's not going to be like Chip Kelly, where you have players in the media saying that he's unapproachable and they don't understand him and that sort of thing. You know, or, or like a Ben McAdoo where the team quits on him. If he fails, it's because mm-hmm. the Titans just aren't going to be that good at football, but it's not going to be because there's some like big controversy. He's going to be in control. I'm a big Vrabel guy. If you listen to the podcast before, I kind of called the shot. And, I mean, it made too much sense stylistically with who John Robinson is, with everything you were hearing about why – McDaniels might not have been the guy. Vrabel might have been the guy based on, you know, what they like and what they believe a winning football team is. It, you know, he's taken players like Whitney Merciless and Jadevian Clowney 
and he's kind of turned him up a notch. And when everybody was healthy, he did something called the diamond defense, which is where he played Jadevian Clowney on one side, Watt on the other, and moved Merciless around to kind of stunt him in the middle. And that was such a creative defense that really it wasn't unheard of because you get NASCAR packages and stuff like that. But with how he used it, it was a very creative way to get your best three players in positions to make plays. So I think he's an innovator. I think he's intelligent. I think he communicates his ideas well, which is what you want in a teacher and a head coach. And I think you have to grade a whole coaching staff as one piece, not not several smaller components. So, uh, you know, I, I credit Vrabel with getting the coaching staff together. He has, and we'll talk about that in a second. But just as he is by himself, I think he's got a ton of qualities you want in a head coach. Yeah, and uh, last season when he was the defensive coordinator, it was just an insane amount of injuries that they went through. I mean, and... And if you want to look at uh, the players that he's developed, it wasn't just Clowney. I mean, Whitney Merciless turned into a legitimate star under his watch. Um, and Bernardrick McKinney and even John Simon turned into really, really good players um, at the linebacker position. So he definitely does have some some merit to his, uh, to his past. Yeah. Let's talk about the assistants and start with uh, the, the replacement of Dick LeBeau. Um, I know Will probably shed a tear and uh, had to drink his sorrows away <laughs> after Dick LeBeau was let go, right? Did Dick LeBeau get replaced? Y'all y'all were so confident that he wouldn't. I just assumed I'd <laughs> misread that article or something. <laughs> I, 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 oh, yeah, that's right. He did get replaced by somebody named Dean Pease. Okay, weird. Yeah, someone whose last name is Pease. Pease, yeah. I love it. Um, so Got him. The, the, this is apparently how Mike Vrabel operates. He talks to some guy who just retired and says, hey, unretire. And the guy says, ah, okay. <laughs> like, who, yeah, uh, who unretires for a first-time head coach? Well, uh, Mike that, Vrabel. Yeah, right. Vrabel's just that convincing. I mean, now, but apparently, like, the Ravens kind of forced him out, and they, like— mm-hmm. It was like retire, we're gonna fire you, or something like that. I'm assuming that's what ha- yeah. happened, and the, that's what the report said. Well, but uh, I mean, gonna, good for us that I'm, we. I'm not gonna sit here and act like I know everything about peas. Like some podcasts will try to do to you, they'll sit here and be like, "Man, that was a home run hire." I don't really know that much about him, to be completely honest. I know he won the Super Bowl, but he had Ed Reed and Ray Lewis, Paul Kruger, Denell Ellerby, who was actually good back then, um, and Terrell Suggs in his prime. So I'm I don't I'm not gonna sit back here and say that he's some defensive genius, but look, Vrabel said mm-hmm. f- uh, uh, front multiplicity and coverage consistency, and I don't think it matters who the defensive coordinator is if you know when to call man and when to call zone and when to blitz. It doesn't take some scheming, confusing genius. And and I don't think Pease. Um is is supposed to be that i think he's just more like a mentor uh because i th- think mike Ray- Vrabel is going to have a lot of input into what the defense does and how they're they're schemed up but uh i'll, I'll give you guys some some facts on on dean Pease. he is 12 years younger than dick lebeau so uh and he's 60 we got very youthful very youthful at the at the 
defensive coordinator position. Yeah, so he's also he's won two Super Bowls. One of them was as a linebackers coach for the Patriots uh, back in 04. Um, that was with Mike Rabel um, when he played for the Patriots, by the yeah. way. Um, and also uh, with the Ravens in 2012. That was his first year as defensive coordinator for the Ravens. And in four of the last five seasons, his defense defenses have uh, ranked top 10 in football outsiders DVOA. So that's pretty good. I think they also led the league in turnovers last season. I think it's yeah. interesting that Vrabel has a former teammate on the team that he's now the head coach of in Matt Castle. Yeah. Um, not for long. Not, not, you're right about that. <laughs> Um, real quick, going back to DVOA, which I, I don't have an account with football outsiders, so I don't look at DVOA, but people preach it and it's not like PFF where it's one guy kind of looking, it's, it's supposedly this, this complex metrics, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, people tend to use it more, more like an official stat instead of like a PFF grade. And which is um, what it is. The, yeah, and the Titans were 20th this year, and over uh, since 2006, Dean Pease's worst season was 20th, and that was in 2015. So, it, going back from 2017-16 on, he's what he was third, sixth, 20th, eighth, seventh, 19th. 14th, 17th, 11th, and 7th. So what that means is in all but three uh, seasons over the last decade, uh, well, over the last 10 years of coaching, um, he, he has been above average or better. And mm-hmm. in four of the last five years, like you said, he's been top 10. And last year he was third. And – it's easy to forget now because of how putrid Joe Flacco and that garbage offense were. But there was a point, uh, especially in the beginning of the season, where what did they have, like five turnovers against the Bengals to open the season, and it was like a 20-0 to shutout. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, they were a dominant defense all year this year, and people can't really name more than about two people on the Ravens team, you know, just just regular people. I know we can talk about Weddle and we can talk about Suggs and and anyway, but there, there's not you know a Ray Lewis and an Ed Reed and all those kinds of guys like it has been in the past. So he's done a lot with a little for a long time. So I give him the benefit of the doubt. It's not like LeBeau where LeBeau was forced out of uh, Pittsburgh because he was just bad coach at that time and because he was a really good guy and he was a really strong locker room guy the titans snatched him up as quick as they could and that was the right move for them because you know he was a great mentor he helped him get brian arakpo i i'm i'm happy for what he did with them but he he's isn't getting forced out because he can't do the job anymore like lebeau was he wanted to retire because i think he was kind of tired of where he was at and who he was coaching with and he got a job from Brable and all of a sudden his opinion on retirement changed yeah yeah and his defense pitched three shutouts last season which When's the last time the titans shut out a, a team yeah, yeah. When, i would when, love i would love that okay if you take our last three shutouts when was the third i mean what was it, like 2001 I, I mean the one that comes had... to mind is uh shutting out the lions on thanksgiving didn't that happen uh was that a shutout? 
we wrecked them that year. Yeah, I, yeah, re- we did. I, I know it was a blowout. I don't remember. I don't know if it was a shutout. That game comes to mind though when you say shutout. Still, I, I mean, even even if we did, like that was the last shutout any of us can remember. So, so no, they got ten ten points. See, like so, like our last our like last shutout might not have been since like two thousand or thirty. We just don't remember. Yeah. So, I, I don't know doing three in a year in the NFL now where it's so easy to put points up if you know what you're doing, it is a tough thing to do. 2000. December 2000. That was our last, last shutout? Time. Yeah, against Dallas. Ugh. So he has three. Oh, no. he has this three. is updated through the 2009 season, so oh, okay. we could have had one I don't since think, then. I don't think there was one since then. I don't think we have. It really doesn't feel like We might have been shut out since then. Yeah, that's yeah, for sure. I believe that. Um, Probably by the Ravens. Let's move on to the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Matt LaFleur is someone I can talk about. He's the guy I wanted to be the head coach because, you know, it's easy to be like, Rams offense was good, Sean McVay head coach, uh, offensive coordinator was this guy, he's the next offensive genius. You know, whatever about that stuff. All I know is that Matt LaFleur worked under Mike Shanahan, who's like, the Greek god Zeus of play calling on offense for like five years he worked under that guy he revived Matt Ryan who apparently was better than I thought he was according to my Twitter mentions someone told me I I should quit my career because I thought Matt Ryan was a below average quarterback um he, he revived Matt Ryan he made Jared Goff good um and, you know, we, we talk about, when, when you say offensive genius, the first two names that come to your mind should be Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. This guy worked under both of them, right? I love the hire so much. It, it was, it, I was elated when, when the title. So, yeah, I was kind of surprised when we hired LaFleur uh, just because uh, he was considered a head coaching candidate. Uh, we inter- interviewed him for that position, and and Rabel had gotten hired. Um and the times were really waiting out uh, for the offensive coordinator position once they didn't get Ryan Day from Ohio State. Um, I thought they were just going to wait for DeFilippo um, until after the Super Bowl uh, ended. Um, but then I, I got that notification that LaFleur uh, had been hired, and I, I was kind of shocked, but uh, I was really excited because he has one of the best track records when it terms in terms of coaching quarterbacks that I've ever seen of pretty much any quarterbacks coach. I mean, he coached RG3 during that rookie season uh, that was legitimately historic. Um, we already said Matt Ryan during his MVP season where he transformed into into a better version of Tom Brady. Um, and then Jared Goff last season was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Um, a lot of it was helped by by that offense. Uh, but he he helped design that offense because he was the offensive coordinator. So I'm really excited to see what he can bring to the table um, in terms of developing Mariota. And also, this is the first chance he's probably going to get uh, um, to design a whole offense by himself um, and also ca- uh, call plays. So I'm really excited uh, for his future. There's two things that really make me believe in this hire. Um, one is... Jared Goff had the second worst uh, start to a career that any rookie, any first round rookie has ever, ever had, and I think the guys in like the bottom. It was number one, Jamarcus. Thirty. I, 
No, no, I think Jamarcus was better. I, I I don't remember who it was. It was somebody who I didn't know. Um, that's how bad they were. Um, but it it was like some it was like the bottom thirty people, which he was a part of at that point, had all like never gone on to have a winning season. And not only did they go on to have a winning season, they went from the worst offense in football by points to the best in a single year. And that that's not a one guy thing. That is a culture shift and an entire coaching staff doing everything they can. I, I mean. Mm-hmm. That's it's so hard to tell you how it's the only time it's happened in history, I, I believe, uh, that the team's gone from 32nd to first in points in just a year. And I mean, it's so hard to describe, you know, what it takes to do that. But the second thing is, uh, this past year, the Rams were the uh, team that used play action most in the NFL, and the year before that. The team uh, Lafleur was with the Falcons were the leaders in the NFL in play action. And if you've ever seen Pro Football Focus's account, they are sure to let you know, and rightfully so, that Mariota is the best pl- uh, quarterback in the NFL on play yeah. action. And I mean, it's fa- fairly obvious when you watch him that you know when you're watching him live when the play action works, everything is just so smooth and so easy for him, which is one reason why we were so upset when the run game didn't have the same effect this year is because you know everything doesn't necessarily build off the run success it builds off the perception of the run and how you can influence the linebackers and the defense as a whole um and that's kind of it's a ticky tack misconception but it is something that's important but the point is is that if you can have an effective play action which he has with two completely different uh teams in back-to-back years that you should be able to come in and be able to increase you know the Titans play action percentage and get them in a position to really be better at something that you know they should be the focal point of their offense with how good their quarterback is at it so I'm very excited about those two things um Mm -hmm. I uh obviously Alabama has been over the years the the sort of factory of NFL talent Outside of quarterback in the offensive line, they've had just home run after home run in the NFL uh, to the point where if you made a team out of entirely Alabama players, they could take on a lot of NFL teams. Uh, but I, probably number two to Alabama has been Urban Meyer's Buckeyes at Ohio State. And um, a, a big area of, of their success has been the defensive backs where in the first round since Urban Meyer has been there, they've had Bradley Roby, Eli Apple, Marshawn Lattimore, Garyon Conley. They're going to have, uh, what's his name this year? Going to, it's probably oh, Denzel. Go, Denzel Ward. Yeah, Denzel Ward's going to probably go in the top 10, top 15. Um, and yeah, Malik Hooker as well, in addition to all of those guys. And uh, a big part of their success, they've said, was their defensive backs coach, is it, is it Coombs or Combs? How, how Coombs. You, Coombs. Uh, Carrie There's Coombs. Two, two elves. Yeah. And uh, they, they've attributed some of their success to him. Uh, and with Adoree Jackson on the Titans, Logan Ryan on the Titans, LaShawn Sims, they're probably going to add another cornerback this offseason. Uh, Vrabel went to his alma mater and stole Carrie Coombs away, and he is now the Titans' secondary coach. 
So basically, what I get from that is he's going to turn a Dory Jackson into Marshawn Lattimore, Kevin Byard into Malik Hooker, <laughs> and uh, Logan Ryan into Gary and Conley, right? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, or maybe even better than all those players. But, I, obviously, uh, I'm joking, no, but I mean, what, what a I, I, that's such a great hire. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. This is one that has me very intrigued because he he's a legit veteran when it comes to coaching. He's been coaching for 30-plus years or so. Um, and, I mean, coaching at Ohio State and coaching so many of these really good young cornerbacks, um, like you said, Lattimore, Roby, uh, Conley, and Denzel Ward this year. Um, I'm really just – I'm really intrigued to see what he can do with Adoree Jackson – uh, because Adori kind of reminds me of Denzel Ward, actually, who's coming out this year. Um, uh, uh, undersized guys, but who are really, really feisty and are, really play sticky coverage. So um, I'm sure he's going to get the best out of Adori, which which I'm excited to see because Adori was fantastic in his rookie season, and he can only get better for, from here. Um, and I think another thing is um, he progressed very quickly at Ohio State. I mean, he came on in 2012 as a cornerbacks coach. Uh, then and he took on special teams responsibilities. And then last season, he got promoted to assistant coordinator of the defense. Um, so I, what I can gather from that uh, is that he pays a, a lot of attention, takes a lot of um, a lot of pride in his craft and getting better um, and, and, and making people better around him. And uh, by all reports, this is one of the best hires of the offseason, um, if not so for his uh, for his merits, also because he has a very fiery personality. Uh, at least that's what the reports say, and some of the videos I've seen, uh, I can attest to that. Yeah, one one thing I was going to bring up, like you said, is his energy. You, you know, defensive back and wide receiver are two positions that maybe more than any other in the football field thrive on being energetic and confident and cocky in your abilities. And, and I mean – the defensive backs at Ohio State are not lacking for any of that. I mean, they are confident and they are good. So if he can bring that level of energy and that level of technique and finesse to this team, I, I don't know how you can – I don't know how you can just not be in love with the hire. It may end up being the best hire the Titans made all year just because he could easily go on in two years to be a defensive coordinator in the NFL. I mean, if mm-hmm. not that, a special teams coordinator or you know an assistant head coach or something. I mean, he's just – too good from all by all accounts yeah so uh let's sort of look ahead um over the next couple of minutes of our our podcast as we sort of start to to close out uh of what's ahead in the off season we're about a month away from anything big happening Uh, the next big thing is going to be the combine which is almost exactly a month away um so i haven't really looked at the draft a whole lot yet um, but I will give you guys the floor to talk about uh, your your big time players. Will I know you really like Hercules Mataafa? Uh, yeah, Matias, you're a fan of uh, the guy from Oklahoma, Akumbayo Nanto. That's it. Nailed it. Got it in one. That's not, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously, it's very very early, and we haven't seen these guys' uh, combine numbers yet but who are some guys sticking out early for you guys yeah uh i haven't seen too many but there are some some guys that uh have caught my like you said um (laughs) i mean you butchered the name but i think it was in 
<laughs> it was in gesture. Uh, but um, yeah, Ogbania Akaronkwo is a really good player. Um, has a really good motor. Um, I think he could play. He can play edge pretty much in any defense. Um, and I think he, he's a guy that Mike Rabel would absolutely love because he could he could play. Well, we're not going to see him. Uh, hopefully, we're not going to see him be uh, uh, leaked out in a coverage like uh, like Brian Arakpo was. Mm-hmm. Um, because we don't want that anymore, and Dick LeBeau's gone, so that's not going to happen. But uh, he can really, he can re- really rush the passer. A good run defender. Um, someone that I really like is Denzel Ward. I've mentioned him before. Um, he's kind of small, and I kind of want a tall, taller, taller cornerback for the Titans because we already have a Dory Jackson, Logan Ryan, who aren't exactly um, tall, lanky guys. But Denzel Ward is just a fantastic cover corner. Um, he's really quick, really fast. Always has a hand on the wide receiver, really aggressive in coverage, um, and he doesn't give up an inch of separation. It's honestly, it's honestly shocking to see see him play sometimes. He's awesome. I will say one player that I don't like um, is Marcus Davenport, who is getting just a bunch of hype. For, I, I don't even know why, just because he's he's six seven and and he's strong like a bull. Um, but that's it. He's just big and he's strong. He can't shed blockers at all. He's really slow, really slow-footed, um, and I just do not see the hype with him at all. Yeah, the scary thing with Davenport is, and Davenport I have as a fringe first, early second-round guy, um, he's got a ton of talent and a ton of potential, and he's been really productive at his level, but at the same time, he plays at UTSA, which is San Antonio, I mean, it's not good talent he's playing against. Most of the guys that he beats at offensive tackle look like they weigh 260. I don't think he can bend. I think he's kind of a one-note, straight-ahead player. Having said that, on this defense, I, I, I don't want the Titans to draft him unless just there's a catastrophe in the first 24 picks and he, he's kind of all that's left. But, you know, he he would fit that kind of front multiplicity that they've been talking about. He could probably play some mm-hmm. three technique. He could probably step in for Derek Morgan on rushdowns and play some base end, and you could stand up Morgan next to him. You know, there's some things you could do that, that kind of scare me into thinking that maybe he might be a Titan, but John Robinson has said in the past he doesn't like projects. He likes, especially for first-round picks, he likes them to come in mm-hmm. or polished and he's not that he doesn't have any bend he comes up straight up and he's six eight or six seven so he's standing straight up and gets popped in the chest but like i said he's playing against guys who weigh 80 pounds less than him so um yeah uh, let me take this as a form to talk about hercules mataafa for those who don't know um he's the best player in the front seven on this draft and right now he's my top ranked player um and a lot of people are gonna think that's crazy just watch him. The only reason people are scared right now is because they haven't seen him run. If he tests well, he's going to be in the in the top ten of every you know mock draft you see. He's one of the most productive player. He's the most productive player in college football this year in terms of impact production for my money. I, I mean, he he just turn on go to draft breakdown and draftbreakdown.com. Turn on any Hercules Mata off a game and watch for four minutes and tell me that you don't think he's a top-ten player in this draft. That's all I want you to do. 
I mean, he is clearly the best player. And if he tests well, everybody's going to say, yeah, well, we were just afraid of his athleticism because he has to convert from defensive line to pass rusher because he's small. Don't don't worry about any of that. All that stuff is all just window dressing. In this defense, he would be moved around exactly like the Texans used Merciless, and it would it would be one of the biggest impact players the Titans have drafted in the first round in the last few years. I've uh, seen a couple of games of his. I can, I can, I can vouch for everything. Do you think he he'll be there at twenty-five? Though? Do yes, what? He will. Do you think he'll be there at twenty-five? Yeah, I mean, my, Matt Miller put out a mock draft and had him in the third round. Now, Matt Miller might that's not insane. have been. That's insane. Um, and and that's that's fine. Like he answered a question about it on Twitter the other day and said that he's worried about his conversion. So, what? you know, what does that even mean? Yeah, it's because he plays is he like so much Catholic or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. He's got to worry about that baptism. But I mean, it's just it, you can watch. He's really good. Like you could watch if they if Wisconsin would have put JJ Watt at defensive tackle, you could, could have known that he would have been a really good defensive end. Yeah, like that. You you can see if you watch people long enough so i don't know hopefully all this stuff blows over and people realize how good he is but yeah i'm down for another hawaiian on the team yeah. uh, um agreed after the combine the next big thing about two weeks later is a free agency which uh teams can negotiate i think on the 12th and then on the 14th is when the the big day starts and the new league year kicks off and trades uh begin uh, I'll, I'll sort of hold off on talking about free agency because we're going to do a big free agency preview closer to that date. Um, but as we look toward not just free agency, but the draft as well, and we talk about the whole off season, what's a need you guys, the, the first thing that springs to your mind that this team needs, because we've talked a lot about edge and uh, you know, I, I think they need an edge, but I also see them needing a, uh, another running back and that being a big deal, especially if they do as we think they will. And, and they move on from DeMarco Murray, because you're not going to get much done with Derek Henry and David Fluellen in the backfield. Um, so I, I would say uh, running back still, I would put it two, and I would put edge at, at the most important need, not, not a free agent edge, a, a young first round draft pick kind of guy. Yeah, I, I think we absolutely need another running back, uh, specifically uh, a quicker, shiftier pass-catching running back uh, that can get, get us some big plays through the passing game because that could be such a uh, such an important piece for an offense and, and, and for a young quarterback. Um, after running back, yeah, edge is a pretty big need. Um, and I get inside linebacker probably. I'm not sure A.B. Williamson's going to be back. Probably uh, not, I'm if I had to guess. Are we sure though? I'm not so sure that they won't just bring him back. Well, I don't know how, how much he's going to want. So, I feel okay. someone's going to overpay. I feel like for him. I've watched. I've watched the Texans for the last two years put any practice squad tight end on Avery Williams in coverage and funnel their mm-hmm. offense. And Mike Vrabel's been a part of that staff. I mean, he's he's not he's not an idiot. He's seen that happen, and he's watched the last few games. He watched Travis Kelsey beat him on that route, which. It's Travis Kelsey, fine. But then you watch Kareem Hunt kind of bulldoze him three yards deep into the end zone when there was nobody blocking him. I mean, I think 
the recent film is what's going to get him in trouble. It, Rabel's not going to go back two years to when he had a couple of good plays, you know? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. he's gone. I, I think he, someone's going to overpay for him to be a starter. Yeah, and of course, yeah, probably what he should be. He should probably be a inside linebacker, a middle linebacker in a 4-3. Mm-hmm. And yeah. That's, that's fine. But that's not – if you're going to be multiple and you're going to have to ask that guy to be in coverage some, you can't – yeah, you can't pay. You can't keep him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Avery Avery Williamson is not uh, a front multiplicity kind of, kind no, of guy. He's a front singularity kind of guy. Um, yeah, but the uh, the the position that I think we talk about a lot and make jokes about, but haven't really seriously looked at, is uh, backup quarterback. Yeah, I, I've kind of started to look through free agency for those guys. There's some. I actually think some of these. Uh, people that we all assume are going to be starters, like a Sam Bradford, a Nick Foles, people like that. There are a lot of those guys, and there are a lot of quarterbacks in in this draft. Someone, whether it be, say, a Lamar Jackson or a Sam Bradford, Teddy Bridgewater, someone that we don't expect to be available just because of the sheer volume of quality options available is going to become a backup somewhere. Now, I don't know that a guy like that would want to come to Tennessee where they would have no shot at competing for the starting job. But that someone is going to be available of high quality, and it's not just going to be like a, a Chad Henney type of guy. Yeah, and you can you can say that, but I mean, every year that Mario has been in the league, he's missed at least one game. Now this year it was only one game, I think, right? It was, it was only the, yep, Miami it was the Miami game. So yeah, so I mean, you know, it's not a huge concern, but you know, Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, they all miss time year to year. It's you know, it's hard to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. It just it just takes a toll on you. But I mean, not that the Titans are going to get these guys, but Kirk Cousins, Drew Brees, uh, Drew Brees. That's market. not going to happen. But, no, but but I'm saying like these guys are going to get all the attention, and while teams are all, all fighting over Kirk Cousins and they're all fighting over you know Case Teddy Keenum. Bridgewater or Bradford, whoever comes out of there, you know, is it, you know, is it completely inconceivable that the Titans go out and get somebody like, you know, Chase Daniels, Chase Daniels has been fine in situations, you know, just somebody who they like that really fits their system and then, you know, use them as a long-term backup, somebody who's not, you know, 40 years old, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, and you could even you could even argue that if Teddy goes, if Teddy Bridgewater, you know, nobody wants to take a chance on a guy who hurt his knee in practice, and you know, he it's not like he had a real great high end upside anyway. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater takes what like a two year deal with the Titans and gets to play a couple of games. You know, it, you could get a competent backup in this free agency class where. Every other year, you would have to pay this guy six million, seven million dollars. But because of the sheer volume, like we talked about, and all the names in the draft, you can get this guy for three or four million dollars. And it's bargains like that that John Robinson pounces on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so after free agency, uh, obviously comes uh, the draft. We we talked a little bit about that. Um, what? I'll kind of close on this. Uh, the off season, the most boring month of the football year is June. Um, but yeah. from now until uh, really uh, after the draft is over and a, a, sort of a month after that, there is a lot going on. I mean, I was kind of sitting down trying to come up with a, 
topics to, to write about over the next couple of months leading up to free agency. And I was finding myself having too many ideas and too many things to write about just because there is, even though there's no more games being played, so much going on and so many decisions that have to be made. Yeah, I mean, this is this is John Robinson's time to shine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like we're in pretty good hands because he's shown to be capable. And I think he's nailed uh, the last two off-seasons, really. There isn't too much to complain about out, outside of maybe one or two contracts or one or two draft picks. Um, but there definitely is a lot to write about, like you said. There are a lot of free agents to go through, um, a, a lot of dots to be connected in terms of Vrabel's connections uh, in the past and Robinson's connections in the past. Uh, and then the draft, there are just so many players uh, you have to look at, and uh, you also have to connect the dots. Um, I know Will has um, his quarter, cornerback um his cornerback, uh, I don't know what you call it really, but uh, um, that goes through John Robinson's tendency Metric. tendencies in terms of quarter. Yeah, yeah sure. That's yeah. Good I don't know what you want to call it, Will. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think um, I have a name for it. I don't have it pulled up. But essentially what it is is uh, it's John Robinson's tendencies in cornerbacks. He has a very specific model that he uses. Um, I don't I don't just go ahead and tell you all the model or else y'all could do it every year. But I will show you, you know, <laughs> The guys that are – so um, I'll, I'll say it this way. Since John Robinson's been um, drafting for the Titans, there's been six players to pass this metric, and every corner he's drafted has passed it. And the only other two that uh, passed were Cam Sutton and Jordan Lewis. And he didn't have a chance to draft those guys. So, and, and you said, it, it, uh, if I recall correctly, David Amerson, who was cut by the, Ra- the the Raiders today, passes this metric. Yeah, there's there's one thing. So he's got uh, he's got most of them. There's one metric I can't find just in the short time before we were looking at it. I'll have to kind of talk to some people or, or look something up. And uh, Jim Coburn usually has a lot of this stuff, so I may have to reach out to him and kind of figure it out. But um, if he has that, he passes every metric. If not, he passes all but one of the metrics. So it, that's that's somebody who, you know, just by the way, talking about stuff, about how busy the offseason is, people are going to get cut like this. And because we've got a new coaching staff and a new, you know, offense and defense to build, John Robinson is going to be more active in this than he was last year, more like he was in his first year when he traded for DeMarco Murray. So it, it, we don't know how much of the roster needs an overhaul in terms of what these guys want to do. So it becomes significantly more interesting every time somebody cuts a, a young, you know, talented, big player with great production and great athleticism like David Amerson, you know, because coaches always think that they're smarter than the coach before them. So if they see somebody with a bunch of potential, they could go after him. So it's really interesting to watch all that kind of stuff this upcoming season. Yeah. Um, so uh, we've got a lot of exciting things coming up on the podcast during the off season. We are, uh, yeah, we have some guests we're, we're going to try to get on. Jim Coburn will be on at least once. If, if certainly we'll try to get him on more than, than once. Our, our analytics guru. Uh, we have some other names, uh, too, in addition to Jim. Uh, but we are going to uh, take another little break. Uh, we'll, we'll be off for a couple weeks. And uh, we'll be back around the time of the Combine, uh, probably right before, to kind of talk about some players we'll be watching and looking out for. 
Um, and after the combine, uh, we'll probably be back to pretty close every week for a while because once the combine hits and we have those numbers that, that Jim Coburn could put in his analytics machine and, and we can really start diving into the draft, there's going to be a lot to talk about. So um, until then, uh, anything else you guys want to add? Can't wait to talk about some, some draft players. It's going to be exciting. Yep. Yeah, I was gonna say, go to draft breakdown. I'm not. I'm not sponsored by them sitting <laughs> in an ad. Go to draft, <laughs> and if you think you know something about a player, please watch them. Get make just <laughs> not that hard. Do something like that, and then mm-hmm. have it to back up your point. If because I know a lot of people are gonna say, you know, Darwin James is great, or Quentin Nelson isn't the slowest person on the field all the time, and those are fine things to say, but. Use a GIF to show me, you know, because if not, I'm going to argue and I'm going to show you the stuff that I've seen. So I, I would encourage everybody, please go go look at stuff on Draft Breakdown and be, you know, be right. You know, be the person who isn't just agreeing with everybody in the mainstream. Go find something and it doesn't have to be a fifth round sleeper you think is going to be an all pro. Just go find somebody and watch their film and say, oh, this guy's actually going to be a lot better and find your you know, David Johnson or somebody like that. So go, go do that and educate yourself in a fun way. In other words, know mm-hmm. what you're talking about. For the yeah. Next couple of yes. months. Uh, yeah. You can talk to us at Titan underscore sized at Twitter. Uh, you can find our personal accounts pretty easily. Just search our names. They should come up um, until next time for Matthias Wadner. Will Lomas. I'm Luke Worsham. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe and uh, we'll talk to everybody next time. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.